If you don't have your Bibles, there is a blue Bible in the, or there should be one in the seat in front of you, and it, you can take that home as your very own Bible to keep. That is our gift to you. We want everyone to have a Bible, and so as you're going there uh, and flipping to Daniel chapter ten, just uh, let me give just a couple of housekeeping things about where we're going. I don't think I'm on mute actually. I'm, I'm, I'm a good. Nope. Okay, I'll just do the pulpit mic. Uh, uh, just to do a few housekeeping things, we're going to finish up our series on Daniel. Uh, but for the summertime, uh, we're going to start a new summer series called True and Certain. And uh, the, we're going to be uh, looking at some things that you can believe and take to the bank that are true and certain about God's word. The fact is, is that I believe that we have lived through a really difficult time. I think that we've lived through a time where it's hard to discern fact from fiction, what is a conspiracy, what is not, what's true and what's not, and it's becoming increasingly harder in our culture to discern truth from a lie. And I just don't mean spiritual truth, I, I just mean like what you hear on the news or what you think in town or the rumors that you hear. And so I think that this has left a lot of people frozen uh, and uncertain. So the idea behind our summer series is to go through some basic beliefs that we hold about God and that you can take to the bank that are certain about Jesus. And so uh, I'm looking forward to that, and I hope you would be too. Uh, uh, and uh, we'll just finish off Daniel, and then we'll get started on that. To get you back into the time frame of Daniel and a little bit about Daniel, uh, we, we've taken a little bit of break from Daniel for Easter, and now we're uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, we're bouncing right back in. And uh, we've been uh, studying through the series of Daniel, and uh, I would like to read to you a blog pro post from a pastor and a Bible teacher whom I consider very faithful. His name is John Newfelt, And I want you to see if you can relate to the connections that he makes between Daniel and our changing culture. It goes like this. I'll admit it. I feel like Daniel, except that I haven't gone anywhere. Daniel, as you will recall, was taken captive from Jerusalem and brought into Babylon. It must have been an overwhelming experience. The language had changed. The culture was dramatically different. And at every turn, he found his faith in conflict with the wider world in which he now lived. The truth, though, is, unlike Daniel, I haven't gone anywhere. Even though I've had a fair bit of opportunity to travel, and my wife and I lived in California for four years, I've lived in my birth country, Canada, for the most part. Indeed, I have only lived 50 kilometers from where I grew up. And yet, I feel as I've been taken to a strange land in my lifetime. I remember my early childhood experiences in church. We sang from a hymn book, as did every other church in North America. I could have traveled from my home church in rural British Columbia to a city in Florida and wouldn't have thought it slightly strange that a church in the part, that part of the U.S. would have sung the very same hymns that I sung in my, my church. But this wasn't only my experience in church, it was also my experience in wider culture. 
My early memories of public schools consisted of the same ritual that all Canadian children went through. We began reading from the Old Testament, then the New Testament, a recitation of the Lord's Prayer, followed by singing, O Canada and God save the Queen. Does anyone remember doing that in public high school? A few of you. Okay. He goes on to say, I remember the very first class I got taught in sex education. We were divided between boys and girls. I remember being being asked if we, the boys, would ever marry a girl who was not a virgin. I remember every single boy in my class saying with confidence that they would not. On that basis, we were asked if we thought girls would think the same way, and we all agreed they would. But things changed quickly. The morning school ritual changed. Sex education changed. The roles of women changed. The understanding of our sexuality changed from the sexual revolution in the 60s to the acceptance of gender as a fluid concept. All the stores, which used to be closed on Sunday, were now, were now all open. I remember when Three Hills had all their stores closed? Yes. Okay. The internet changed the way we communicated with all together. The products we consumed changed dramatically, including where it was grown or manufactured. The concept of the family has changed, and so the nature of the evangelical church has changed. I am not arguing that all was well in the olden days. For most assuredly, it was not. There was a fair bit of racism, especially in the church. Tradition was more important than biblical truth, even when we didn't know it. And for me personally, I find living in a multicultural environment to be exhilarating. The great task before us is to continually learn to share the unchanging mess of Jesus in a changing culture. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. And so with that, to get you back in that time frame and that mindset, we've been learning how to do that through the book of Daniel. And what I'm noticing is that as you're reading through the book of Daniel, um, in order to live in that culture where you are thriving on a culture that does not value the same things that you need to do is that, or live the way that God wants you to do, is you have to, you have to live your life like an elastic band, okay? Well, what do I mean by that? Well, anyone ever fascinated with elastic bands? I mean, they're so simple, and yet they're really, really cool. You know what's really cool about them is that you can put the tension on them as much as you want, and it will retain its shape at once it goes. Once the tension is gone. And I think that that is the way that you and I need to live. Is that you and I somehow need to be elastic. And then what, we, what I mean by that is that no matter what tension that the culture causes on our lives. No matter what goes on. At work or at home or whatever. And the pressures put on us to follow God. No matter what we do. We always bounce back to the shape that God wants us. There's another word for that elasticity. Do you know what it's called? Resilience. Someone saw the notes beforehand. <laughs> I believe that in order to thrive in a culture that is different than our own, you and I need to be people of resilience. 
What does it mean to be resilient? Well, simply the dictionary puts it this way. It is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or toughness. That when you and I are put in situations that, that stretch us, that put tension on our lives, we can bounce back into the shape that God has called us to do. And in order to live for Jesus, when, there is no exter- when all the external structures are gone, when there's no Bible colleges or homeschool or strong Christian families anymore, you and I need to be people of resilience. We need to have the ability to withstand and bounce back from adversity. Okay? But here's the thing I know about elastic bands. Okay? If you put too much tension on them, what happens? They break. They break. I'm going to try it. Break it. There you go. And that is also true of our lives as well. If there is too much tension in our lives, if there are too many things that are going on, eventually what will happen is that you and I will be in a place where we will break underneath the pressure of it. Let me just give you an example uh, from everyday life. Listen, I, we are, we are renovating our garage. We're spending a lot of time getting it ready. And we also want to go a little bit on holidays this, uh, this summer, so we're budgeting to fix the garage at the same time that we're going on vacation. Well, last week, a big windstorm came by the town. Do you guys remember that? And it blew my entire fence down. So not only do I have to save enough money to pay for a vacation and a garage, I now have to pay for a fence, right? And I can do it. I, I can, the tension's there. You know, there, there's money in the bank. We, we can handle it. But then... Also this week, we had that really weird snowstorm come through, okay? And you know what happened? The tree in my front yard caved under all the snow. The big old, like, tree in my front yard that crashed down. So I have a garage, a vacation, a fence, and now a tree to fix. And just yesterday, I was driving all the way to Airdrie, and all of a sudden, my car stopped working. And it was really weird. All the dashes, all the instruments just turned off. I had no idea how fast I was going or how much gas was in the car. I should have used it as a license to speed. That way when the police officer pulled me over and said, do you know how fast you were going? I was like, nope. I certainly couldn't. But you see what I'm saying is like, I could handle one stress. I could handle two stresses. I could handle three, but maybe four is just breaking the bank. I can't do that. I can't do all this financial stuff. And I got to figure out, can I go on vacation? Can we do this? Should we pay for this? All the tension is at a place where I could break. And that is true of our lives as well. Okay. Over the last two years, I saw an immense amount of tension. Relationships broke. I saw people from Manor literally break down on main streets and cry at the economic and relational cost as they lost their jobs and they saw people pass away that they could not say goodbye to for the last two years. It doesn't even have to be the last two years. You can make a stand for God in some way. And the amount of antagonism is so forceful that it feels like it's too much that you are about to break underneath of it. 
You could live for God in your family. You could be the only one living for God in your family and say, I'm going to stand up for Jesus in my family and live the way that he does. But the tension that that causes in your family could cause you to have a nervous breakdown. All the tension caused by living in a culture that differs than our own can make our ability to bounce back crumble. Okay, And so the question that we need to ask this morning is, How do you and I function and live for God if you are at a place in your life right now where the stresses are so heavy that you are about to break? How do you live for God and do what he asks you to do when you're at the point where you're going to have a breakdown? The truth is, is you can't. The sheer thought of whatever God is asking you to do sends you into a pan attack or a prolonged sense of withdrawal. How do you bounce back from that? When I look at the life of Daniel, I see a life of resilience. I want you to track with me what we've been learning about Daniel and all the things that have been tension, caused tension in his life. He lost his friends. He lost his country. He lost his culture. He lost his family. He was forced to eat food that he didn't want to eat. He took a job that he didn't want to take. He was probably castrated because of that job. So the ability to have his own wife and kids and family was taken away from him. His three friends were thrown in a fire. In his old age, he gets visions from God that make him sick. And lastly, he lives long enough where his people, all his people, all his friends and family, his kin, they get to go back to Israel, but he does not. Because he's too old to make the journey. At this point, he's 84 years old. And you know what? Daniel bounced back from all of it. But in chapters 10, 11, and 12, Daniel has a vision about the return of Jesus And what he sees in the dream breaks him. It automatically destroys him. When you read the text, it says, what I saw, I I can't breathe. When you read the text and it says, I have no strength, you got to read it with some emotion. He goes, what I see in it, I just just can't breathe. It's so horrible, I can't go on. Why are you doing this to God? And he's at the point of a breakdown. How do you bounce back from a breakdown? Let me read to you what it says in Daniel chapter 1, or Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. It says this. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. Daniel got a vision, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it considered, listen to this, a great conflict. Some translations say a great war. And he understood the word and the understanding of the vision. And so what is happening here is Daniel is in his position in life. He's, he's 84 years old and he is, he is now seeing a number of visions for God. This is the last one and it's scaring him. This is at a time where, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, this is a time when Daniel, uh, his people are returning back to Israel. So let me, let me help you out here. When you read Bible stories, okay, you, you, and you read through the Bible, our tendency is to go like this. 
this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. But when you read the Bible, a lot of the Bible books and stories overlap. And Daniel chapter 10 overlaps with the Bible story that we find in Ezra chapter 1 and 2. The people are returning back to Israel uh, to rebuild the city. The king of Persia, Cyrus, has let the people go to rebuild And they're going off to do that. Daniel is staying behind, likely because he is too old to make the journey. And in Daniel, in Ezra chapter 2 and 3, we learn that there is a great conflict where there is pushback against rebuilding Jerusalem. And that is the context in, in which this story comes into being. And so what ends up happening is Daniel is so overwhelmed, he starts praying and he prays and Ask God for help, and he has nothing. He sees nothing for, for days. And he is at the point of breakdown. So this morning, what I would like to do this morning for us is I would like to give you four ways from Daniel, as we go through the text, I would like to give you four ways that God restores and strengthens Daniel when Daniel is at the point where he's about to break. And the reason I think that is important is because I think that there are some of you who here are about to break. That you are going through various few things and stresses in your life, and you can deal with it, but there's just that one thing that if it happened, it would break you, and you're not sure if you would come back from it. And I want you to see what God does. Four things that happens in this story to restore Daniel's strength. And hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. So the first thing I'm going to say is that if you are ever in a situation where you feel like you can't make it, where you feel like it's too tough, where you feel like I'm going to collapse under the weight of all, then the first thing I would tell you is look to Jesus. Listen to what the text says this morning. Daniel, after receiving the vision, go goes in verse 5, he he said, I lifted up my eyes and looked. Behold, a man clothed in linen and a belt of fine gold from Euphrates around his waist. His body was like braille and his face was like the appearance of lightning. His eyes were flaming torches. His, His arms and legs like the gleam of burned bronze. The sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Daniel chapter 6 and verses 7. So here's what's happening here. Daniel receives a vision. It scares him. It's about a great war. And so he goes into a time of prayer and fasting. And for three weeks he hears nothing. And then all of a sudden he's standing in this river. And all of a sudden it's like this flashback. He sees a vision of a man. Just boom. And this is the description of him. His face is like lightning. His feet are like bronze. He's got this... He's got this belt. His voice is powerful. It sounds like the multitude. Well, who is this man? Well, I want to suggest to you that it's Jesus. Now, not every scholar agrees with me on that, but here's why I think it's so. In John chapter, or Revelation chapter 1, so years and years and centuries after this first vision, John in Revelation chapter 1 has a vision of Jesus. And I want you to see the similarities between John's vision and the one that we just read. Okay? 
First of all, John and Daniel both see someone clothed in a long robe and a belt of fine linen. They both see a golden sash around his chest. They both see his eyes like flaming torches. They both see and sound someone whose feet are like those of bronze, who is refined in the furnace. And they both see, or they both describe that his voice is like the sound of a multitude or rushing waters. Okay? It seems to me, friends, that the person that is that Jesus is, or the, the Daniel describing is Jesus himself. And if that's true, then Jesus visited Daniel at a point where he was about to break, where he could either breathe, where he couldn't breathe, where it was just so much. And here's why I think that is so important when you and I are about to break. A vision of Jesus will make every battle that you face manageable. I don't hear an amen to that. I hope you hear that today. I really do. You see, Jesus is more powerful. Jesus is stronger. You want to know why? Because Isaiah tells us that Jesus bore our sorrows and he carried our griefs. I think many of us have too small a view of Jesus. Jesus is the one whom demons fled in terror. He's the one in coming king and the ruler. He is unstoppable. Every Everything in nature answers to him. And so when you're about to break, Daniel said, or God sends Daniel a vision of Jesus. When you are broken, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Look for Jesus. Look for a vision of the Lord. See where he's at. Daniel is about, he's stressed out. And the first thing that happens to him to encourage him and strengthens him is he sees Jesus. So let me make this practical for you. When you are about to break, when you are going through that stressful thing, when you're asking yourself, where's God in the suffering, in the finances, in the divorce, and the abuse, pray and ask God to reveal where is Jesus in the circumstance. And pray and let him show you that he was. You know, last week, Liz, Liz, my wife, came up here and he shared with her her story about healing, about how God had healed her from abuse, about how someone had taken advantage of her in a wrong way. One of the things that Liz did not share with you that she shared with me that was incredibly healing is she asked Jesus, Jesus, where were you when I was getting uh, taken advantage of? And you know what? She had a strong sense that Jesus said, I was covering your eyes from all the bad stuff that was about to happen. Jesus brings healing. If you are ever in a spot in your life where you feel you're about to crush, look for Jesus. The second thing I want you to memorize when you're feeling a little bit down is that Jesus attended to the heart before he tended to your answers. Listen to what he says in uh, verse 11. It says this, And he said to me, Uh, O Daniel, behold, and he said, behold, a hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man, you are greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright, for now I have have been sent to you. And when he has spoken the word to me, I, I stood up trembling. 
So here's what happens. Daniel sees the vision uh, of a great war. It sends him into a time of prayer. He prays for three weeks. Nothing happens. He sees a vision of Jesus. He's, and Jesus speaks to him. And it's, the voice is so trembling that he actually faints and falls asleep. And the next thing he knows, an angel's hand touches him. And the very first thing that he says is, Daniel, I've been sent to tell you the meaning of the dream, but before I do, I need to tell you something that you are greatly loved. Now, you and I gloss over that, but I want you to see how impacted it would have been to hear from heaven that God is proud of you. Think about everything that Daniel has been through. All the suffering, all the, all the trials, and it would be easy for either you and I to think that God has it out for us. The very first words were out of, Dan, out of the mouth of the angel was a word to comfort and strengthen the heart. You know I see this in the, in the story of Lazarus. If you recall in the story of Lazarus, Jesus has a friend named Lazarus that dies. After spending uh, a few days waiting, Jesus goes and visits the family and as soon as the family sees Jesus, the, the sisters run up to Jesus, and the very first thing they say is, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. Okay? Jesus, if you were here, if, if you were in control, why? You wouldn't have let this bad thing happen. And you know what Jesus could have done? He could have explained what he was about to do. He could have said, hey, don't worry about it. In a few minutes, you'll be right as rain. We're going to have a big party. I'm going to correct your theology. But he doesn't do that. When people suffer and they ask the question, why does God allow this? My first inclination as a pastor is to get into the theology. Is to explain the reason. But Jesus doesn't do that. What he does with Lazarus is he goes, Mary comes and says, My, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. And the very first thing he says is, where is he? And then he goes, and then he mourns. He tends to the heart before he gives the answers. And you see the same thing here. The angel attends to the heart before he explains the answers. If you're ever wondering how to, how, how to help people in the time of suffering, can I suggest to you to take a quick lesson from Daniel and Lazarus and attend to people's hearts before you try to give the explanation. Okay. Number three, when you are in a time of suffering, please remember that you should never mistake God's silence for his absence. The angel goes on and says, I'm about to tell you the vision of the dream, but first let me explain why it's taken so long. He says this, Fear not, Daniel, from the moment, from the first day you set your heart to understand the vision and humbled yourself before God. Your words have, have come, and I have come to show you because of your word. I've come to show you the meaning because of your words. A lot of times I believe that you and I give up praying too easily. We are in a situation where we feel that we are going to be crushed and our strength is gone and it's left and we plea out to God for an answer. God, help me in some way. And there is silence. And you know what that silence does to you? That crushes you. 
But understand this, never mistake his silence for his absence. When God is silent, he is still moving. When you don't hear anything or feel that he's moving in any way, he is doing something. When you don't see anything happening, it doesn't mean that God isn't doing anything. You and I need to trust that when we are asking God for help, there is something help is along the way. You and I need to th- ask ourselves, when we, when we don't see God moving the way that we want to, or a prayer is not getting answered, you and I must understand that there may be hindering factors of which praying, which we know nothing about, on why our prayers are taking so long to be the answer. And so, I would ask, and so what I would ask you, ask you to do is not give up praying. In the fall, I asked you to think of a prayer request that you have been praying for, that you have stopped praying for. And I asked you to write that down and stick it on a prayer a card and put it in the back in those cards there. My question to you is, have you stopped praying because you haven't seen any activity in that regard? Continue to pray for the things that God has told you to pray for. And only stop if he has answered it or he has released you. But if he has said nothing, keep praying. And lastly, before we go, I want you to understand this. Is that when you are in a time where you feel like you're about to collapse, understand that you are in a spiritual war. The angel then goes on to explain this. He says this. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief priests, came out to help me, for I was left there with the two kings of Persia, and I came to, and I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for things yet to come. So the angel explains to Daniel, listen, as soon as you, as soon as you prayed, God told me to come and tell you. But I was held up. There was this battle I was facing, and I had to deal with that before I came to you. Listen to what I'm about to say about this. Since the prince in the story was able to oppose an angel, a messenger of God, we know that the person that was opposing the angel was more than a man. We believe in angels here and demons and God and all that. We believe, the Bible says is that angels are stronger and more intelligent than you and I. And so what is going, if there's someone that is, is stopping the angel from coming, it's got to be someone that is like him. The prince is some kind of angelic being. And we know he was an evil angelic being, so probably a demonic thing, because he opposed the word of God coming to Daniel and stood as the angelic monster. You and I need to understand something very carefully. This, there is a battle, and the battle is over. Who gets the glory? That is what spiritual warfare is all about. I'm going to take a, I just want to take a few minutes to describe this. I need a, I need a couple volunteers. I'm going to have Bruce, you come up here. Dallas, you come up here too. Uh, who else do I want? Uh, Dale, come on up. Okay. So, you're here. Uh... Dallas, you can stay right there. And Dale, you go like, you need one more. Who can I pick on? Uh, Carl, come here. Come on, Carl. I won't make you do anything awkward. 
Uh, actually, Jill, could you be like right, right here? And Carl? Okay. So, Carl represents you and I. He represents every Christian that wants to give life, uh, live a life of Jesus. So, Carl is doing his thing. He's living for Jesus. Everyone say hi, Carl. Hi, Carl. Bruce. Bruce represents Jesus because he's tall. <laughs> Dallas represents Carl's own way, like Carl's way of thinking how the world works and in the way the decisions makes. And uh, Dale over here represents Satan. <laughs> yeah. So you're gonna have to be comfortable with me touching. Okay. So. Carl's living his life. He's following God. He's doing his own thing. He's, he's at his work. He's being a dad. And he has three options that he could do. He could live his life Jesus' way. He could live his life his own way. Or he could live his life Satan's way. Okay? In spiritual warfare, when we talk about the idea about giving God the glory, you and I need to understand something. Okay? Satan does not care if he gets the glory. What he cares about is whether or not God does it. So here's what I'm thinking. If Carl lives for Jesus, that's an issue for him. Okay? That's an issue for Satan. Okay? But if Carl does his own way, he lives his own way, or he goes Satan's way, which way is he not going? Jesus' Jesus. way. And so that's what the... Okay, you guys can sit down. Thank you. Okay. That's what spiritual warfare... Thank you. Okay. You and I need to understand that that's what spiritual warfare is all about. Okay, Spiritual warfare is about giving God the glory. Who gets the glory? And Satan does not care who gets the glory as long as it's not God himself. You need to understand that. Okay? If I get the glory, or he gets the glory, or your society gets the glory, anyone else but God gets the glory. And so I think you need to understand that you and I fight in that battle. Okay? And because of that, every decision that you make, everything that you and I do, from cutting our hair, to raising our kids, to our relationships, to our finances, is an act of spiritual war because it's all about who can get the glory in that circumstance, Jesus or someone else, okay? Now, when I talk about spiritual warfare, I want to be very careful about this because there is a tendency to do, go to one of two extremes. One is to look for a demon under every corner and to get obsessed about that. But I don't believe that that is the way to look at it because like I said earlier, you need to fix your fi fixation on a vision of Jesus. Secondly, it's to deny that there is anything going on at all. But you need to understand something. Everything that you go through, every decision that you make, is an act of conflict between who gets the glory and who doesn't. Let me give you an example from everyday life. A peptic ulcer is basically a sore on the lining of the stomach. For years, doctors treated ulcers as incurable, saying that it was too much stomach acid from stress and caffeine and bad foods. So if I have a stomach ulcer, I'm going to address it by treating the stress 
and not drinking coffee. If coffee's causing the ulcer, I take away the, I take away the coffee. But in 1992, an Australian scientist found that what causes all ulcers is a bacteria where 80% of his patients had it. So a proposed theory is that ulcers are caused by a bacteria, not stress. And here's my point. My point is that until you understand where the primary source of your issue is, you will never have success in beating it. it, it you will keep the, the battle being a physical battle when really it's a primarily spiritual problem and it will be doomed to fail. Okay? I'm not saying be hyper-spiritualized. I'm just saying that if your problem has a spiritual component to it, then the solution is a spiritual component. Let me give you an example. Let's say, for example, that you're running tight on finances. Well, a physical problem or a solution to that, if it was just a financial problem, would be to get a second job, okay, to get more money. But maybe the reason that you're running, you can't pay your bills every month isn't because you don't have enough money. It's because you're not content with the lifestyle that God has given you. And so you wind up spending all this money on all this elaborate stuff that you're not supposed to. Getting a second job isn't going to help that. You have to deal with the contentment issue. Or suppose that you are fighting with your friends, okay? Well, your solution to that might be to stop talking to them, but the spiritual component of that asks, where is my pride in that? Or maybe you have a bad attitude. You just woke up in the morning and you had a bad attitude, and so you're driving, you're driving to work or you're driving to school and someone cuts you off and you give them a finger and you say things that you didn't learn at church to them, right? That would be your solution, Okay. But really, maybe there's bitterness going on. Do you see what I'm saying? Physical problems, because they are all, you have an opportunity to give God glory in every circumstance, whether trivial or not, is an opportunity for spiritual battle on the conflict. And here's what I need you to understand going back to the text. Daniel's vision. He has a physical problem. He's not hearing God's voice. He's not speaking to him. And the angel says that it's because I was held up fighting the king of Persia, right? That there was a spiritual attack. There was a spiritual reason for Daniel's physical delay. So the problem works itself out physically, but the source of it is spiritually. You and I need to understand that we are in a spiritual war. And unless you understand that, you are going to find yourself exhausted and at the point of breaking because you're only looking at it from the point of view of something that is financial or something that is relational or something that is marital, when really you need to understand that Ephesians chapter 6 that says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities in this dark world. So there you go, Daniel. There's the four things that happened in the story to strengthen Daniel. He sees Jesus. His heart is attended to. He knows that he, 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 never, he needs to understand that God was working even when he was silent. And he understands that there is a spiritual war going on. 
Well, what happens at the end of the story? Well, it says this at the end of the chapter. Again, having the appearance of a man touched me, and he said, O man, greatly love, fear not, peace be with you. And as he spoke to me, I was what? Strengthened. And he said, Lord, or sir, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you, what is inscribed in the book of truth, there is none who contends by my side except Michael, your prince. So basically what happens is he strengthens him, he encourages him, and at the end of chapter, Daniel stands, and he's ready, he finds his resilience again, and he is ready to hear the interpretation of the great war that is about to happen. Friends, let me close with this. Living in a culture that is different than our own means that we will face issues that could break us under the stress of it. And if it breaks us and we have a nervous breakdown or we can't do anything anymore, we are out of the game. In the moments like that, I would encourage you to do four things. Number one, look for Jesus. Number two, remember that he will take care of your heart before he give you the answers. Number three, if you don't see him, don't make, make the mistake of thinking that he's not working. And four, understand that we are part of a great spiritual war about who gets the glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close with one more song.